We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello, and AJ Brown is no longer a Titan. <laughs> What's up, my friend? Just going to get right into it, are you? I mean, that is the top story. Like, it's crazy. The Titans just added nine new draftees. They signed a, a bunch of undrafted free agents. But the number one story from this draft class is that A.J. Brown is no longer a Titan. So, yes, welcome to the podcast. We are going to recap the Titans' entire draft class. But first, we got to start with this because it was a shocker. Thursday night, draft is rolling along. Titans fans patiently waiting till 26 comes up. And with pick 17 on the clock, we get, or pick is in for pick 17, we get notifications on Twitter. Adam Schefter, I think, was the first one that I saw, at least, saying the Titans have traded A.J. Brown. And when I first saw it, I was like, this is a joke. This is not a real Adam Schefter account. This is a parody. Like, this is fake. I was in complete shock. What was your initial reaction to this trade? Yeah, I was in complete and utter shock as well. I mean, the the first, the the way I found out initially, uh, I actually had a a friend in a a group chat um, who's not a Titans fan, uh, he just uh, said, oh, no, Justin, oh, no. And I didn't even really, you know, and about 10 seconds later, maybe, I uh, had the notification pop up on my phone from Adam Schefter. He, he was certainly first on it. And uh, I, I, I was in utter shock. And that's pretty much when you saw, as you said, pick is in, Titans are on the clock at 18. Uh, it, it, I mean, you said it, right? Shocking. It's a devastating loss, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it and pretend like it's not a big deal. Pretend like, oh, it's they're so easy going to replicate that production. Like after walking the desert for 50 years without finding a single receiver, uh, essentially, they they finally got one, right? Uh, And again, and that's a lot of that's overblown because you know different regimes draft different players, right? So. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter that it took so long to find one. But the fact is, as a fan, you waited so long uh, yeah. for, for them to have a quality receiver. They, they finally get one and they've traded him after three years, you know, three years into his, his rookie contract. Talking about a back to back, a thousand yard receiver, one of the most, you know, physical, violent, uh, a, an incredible route runner, a gamer, right? Like when the game is on the line, I feel like you can trust AJ Brown, right? Like it's he, when he's on, he's one of the more dominant receivers in the league, right? Like a fringe top 10 receiver, I would say. So it was shocking. I mean, you and I on this podcast, I mean, you went on around the NFL and said, and said the Titans are not going to trade A.J. Brown. I mean, I, I felt fairly similarly to you, right? Like I think I at mean, one point I said, never say never. You but. are the only one that at least entertained the possibility. And it wasn't because you thought it was going to happen. It was just because you were like, well, Tyreek Hill and Devonta Adams just got traded. I never thought they would get traded either. Yeah. But It's crazy to me because I think at the time that we were saying A.J. Brown's not going to get traded, any thought of a trade was pure speculation. The Titans were not shopping him. Now, I think, and I did say that on Around the NFL, that there, I did not think there was any world the Titans would trade A.J. Brown. And I really believe that at the time I said that, the Titans didn't either 
like envision no, themselves yeah. trading AJ Brown. He's what John Robinson said as well. John Robinson, Mike Vrabel said it on the Rich Eisen show and in a press conference. Like they, they were not planning this from like January or anything like that. What happened was reading through all the tea leaves, there's been reports from AJ Brown through Teron Davenport on ESPN. Buck Rising's been talking on his show for A to Z Sports. Like we're hearing a lot of information. John Glennon had a, had some tweets about it as well from sources that he spoke to. Paul Basically, did well. I think Karski and Glennon both had stories that were very similar. Yeah, and and it may it comes down to the fact that AJ Brown wanted more money than the Titans were willing to pay. The amounts are disputed right now. Some people AJ Brown said they only offered him 16 million a year. The Titans said they were willing to go through the sources of Glennon and Kaharski and others said they were willing to go higher than 22 million. AJ Brown was reportedly saying he would play for the Titans at 22 million, but then there were reports that the agent demanded 80 million fully guaranteed, which is a crazy, crazy high number. It is a which crazy. Would number. be by far record setting for the receiver position, and um, even 57 million fully guaranteed for the four-year extension that he signed with Philly, which will be tacked on to the end of his rookie year contract, which is this 2022 season, is still a, a ton of money to pay someone who. I mean, we went through. We talked at length about receivers that were comparable to AJ and and in this third, after three years going to their fourth year, and even other guys like Mike Williams and Chris Godwin, who have vastly outproduced AJ Brown. And he's been a touchdown machine, but it's not like he's put up crazy numbers. Now, Tennessee's a run-first offense, doesn't throw the ball a whole lot. He has missed a lot of games, but that factors into maybe why the Titans wanted to trade him. I mean, not that they ever really wanted to, but it did seem like it got to a point where Things just got so far apart between what the agent wanted his client to receive and what the Titans were willing to do. And after AJ and his camp cut off communication with the Titans reportedly three weeks ago, there just didn't seem to be any room for middle ground. And if AJ Brown really wasn't going to play for the Titans for less than $25 million a year that he got from Philly, there's a world where he holds out late into July, holds out into the season, the Titans end up trading him for future picks, but nothing that can help replace what A.J. Brown is, at least in part, for the 2022 season. It's not that I think the Titans should have traded A.J. Brown, but I do think there's a world where you can look at this as them making the best of a bad situation. At least they got a first-round pick this year and a third-round pick, and they were able to draft a player who all scouting reports say his bet, his most like similar comp in the NFL is A.J. Brown. And so it's not that you ever want to trade a star player. And I've said this many times on this podcast. I've tweeted it. I said it on around the NFL that AJ Brown was the Titans most valuable player on offense last year. And without him, the offense was totally stagnant. Even without Derrick Henry, if you had AJ Brown, the offense moved, you saw it most on display on that Thursday night football game against the 49ers when he just absolutely torched. He was unstoppable in that game. AJ single-handedly won games for this Titans team. And think about the Ravens game where he barreled through eight defenders oh, to get into the end zone. What a touchdown. So many, so many moments and so many memories. And it really sucks as a fan to like be reminded so violently that this is a business at the end of the day. Um, it just kind of sucks. And I mean, you hope Traylon Burks can be half what AJ Brown was. And it's we talked about this in the group chat. It's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. And like you feel bad for him because his draft selection is always going to be tied now yeah. with AJ Brown and com compared to AJ Brown. And uh, I don't know. It, it really sucks. Yeah. Before I, before we, we get more into Burks, 
look, I've been around long enough and I think most fans are, you know, realize this as well, but both, you know, the, the different stories are coming out and it's very clear, you know, one story is coming out from AJ Brown's camp and another story is coming out from the Titans, right? It's, it's very clear, you know, Glennon and Kuharski, they spoke to someone, you know, likely within the Titans and Teron Davenport spoke to AJ Brown and he didn't hide that, right? I mean, the story had quotes from AJ Brown in it. So it, it's tough to know, obviously, who's telling the truth because what I'm trying to say here is, they both have interest in protecting themselves, right? Like no one wants to be the bad guy. AJ Brown doesn't want to, you know, be the guy that left the Titans high and dry and the fan base hates him now. And the Titans don't want to be the ones that willingly let AJ Brown get away, right? And screwed up the negotiation process. So that's why these stories are coming out the way that they are. I'm not going to choose to believe really one or the other because the truth, you know, the truth is I don't know who's telling the truth. I will say that it's very difficult to imagine that the Titans only offered A.J. Brown $16 million a year. Like, that's what he came out and said. It's a slap in the face, right? I don't think they would be that off on his market value, right? It can be that in the dark of what he's worth and what he could command. So I will say the Titans version of the story seems more believable and plausible on the flip side. You can also say 80 million guaranteed doesn't sound, it sounds as unrealistic as 16 million a year does, right? Like what I'll, that's what I'll say is amount of money. That sounds more like, so the reports are that that 80 million demand came after the trade request. Right. And that sounds Gandy, more like, agent, right. Who I reached that, out to by the way, and predictably had no comment. <laughs> well, Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, I, that one seems to me like, okay, fine, fine. We'll rescind our trade request if you vastly overpay him. It's it's like one of those like demands it's not it's, a real. And I, I will say, too, if, if you watched A.J. Brown's introductory press conference into Philadelphia, and I didn't, truthfully, I've got very little interest, but I saw I some saw of the clips. clips. I saw yeah, clips. clips floating around Twitter. And uh, he didn't do much to deny the Titan side of the story, right? Like they flat out asked about trade requests and – he might as well said that he did ask for a trade. So that, that again, I, I know I said earlier, I'm not going to tell you what I choose to believe aside, but certainly his behavior and his quotes in that conference. And then the fact that 16 million seems so unrealistic. Like I think maybe they offered him 16 million several months ago when the, before the market exploded and he's using that as a way to justify his side. Well, they offered me 16 million. Well, if they did that in January, you know what I mean? In February, then it wasn't so bad of an offer, right? Before some of these guys got what they did, but uh, it, it does seem like, you know, of course, when the trade first happened, I was certainly angry. I'm still angry. Don't get me wrong. But I think we all put a lot of blame at the feet of the Titans. Like, and part of me still feels like you can't, let a superstar receiver like him go. Now I agree with not paying 80 million guaranteed. I do think I would have paid the deal that he got in Philadelphia, to be honest. I know it's still a lot of money, but I do think he's worth what he got in Philadelphia. And I think the Titans should have done that deal if they had an option to. And that's where things get interesting for me is what if they offered that exact deal? Like, did he really just want out? And like, you know, I find it hard to believe we're going to paint A.J. Brown now as some villain that hated playing for the Tennessee Titans. I don't think A.J. Brown hated playing for the Tennessee Titans. I don't think he was trying to get out of here by any means necessary. Like, if, yeah. if that makes you feel better, you can think that, but I don't think that's the case. He, he certainly was a guy that played with a lot of passion, right? So yeah. that's, and that's, his that's heart on his sleeve. That's where I kind of draw the line, right? I'm, I'm very curious if they would, would they have been able to keep him if they had done that deal? 
that Philly did. And that's a deal I think is worth doing with him. I don't think that was an overpay to be totally with where the receiver market is with the way the cap is going to shoot up in two, three years. You're not going to be paying anyone in two, three years. I'm sorry to break it to you. You're paying Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, Harold Landry, potentially Christian Fulton, maybe, but you're not paying Derek Henry in three years. You're not paying Ryan. You might not pay Ryan Tannehill in 2023. You're not, you're not paying Taylor Luan in 2024. You know, you might not pay him in 2023. So my point is you're going to free up a lot of money over these next couple of years, a lot of it. So you could have afforded an expensive AJ Brown deal. The cap is going, you're going to be shocked when the cap shoots up to what it, what it shoots to. So that yeah. to me is the kicker. And I do think he's worth what he got in Philly. And uh, again, I, I also understand not paying 80 million guaranteed. That's um, uh, you don't, but you don't pay him by any means necessary to the point where you do a ridiculous deal that hampers the rest of the roster. But I do think the Philly deal was a fair one. I think they, if they could have done that, they should have. And I'm not going to pretend like this isn't a catastrophic loss because it is. Yeah, it's a huge loss for the offense. And Philly ended up giving him 57 million fully guaranteed. So a, a- a lot less than 80 million, but still yeah. a sizable amount of money. It's yeah. interesting because you saw the, uh, I'm sure everyone saw at least clips from the FaceTime call between AJ and Jalen Hurts. And yeah. if you don't know, AJ and Jalen Hurts are best friends dating back to before either of them was in the league. AJ, uh, Jalen Hurts was at AJ's draft party. Like they have a really close relationship. And there are some conspiracy theories going around Titans Twitter right now that potentially because there was rumors that Jalen Hurts has been, quote, whispering, end quote, in Howie Roseman's ear for the last month to go get his buddy AJ. And so now there's conspiracy theories floating around that maybe AJ and Hurts kind of orchestrated this all behind the scenes or maybe like use the agents to make this pairing come to fruition, which, I mean, maybe there was like some of that in the back of AJ's mind, in the back of Jalen Hurts's mind, but like to think that o- over a month ago, they concocted a scheme to say, yeah. I'm going to get myself traded out of Tennessee. And you're that team, the one you play for Jalen's going to pony up the, they're going to have the draft pick. They're going to have the money to pay me. Like for it to all, it yeah. just seems a little too far fetched for me. I think people are making too much of it. Newsflash uh, players whisper, try to whisper in the ears of their GMs all the time. Right. Like Zach Wilson probably doesn't know Debo Samuel, but it wouldn't shock me if he called Joe Douglas and said, Hey, we, maybe we should trade for Debo Samuel. Right. Like Hertz could have had a little extra motivation, of course, being best friends with him. But I don't think there was much more to this than a quarterback calling his general manager saying, Hey, there's a really good receiver that could be available. Maybe we should go get him." Like, no, I don't buy the whole conspiracy theory thing where they wanted to, to manifest this. Uh, I don't know if this is too much of a, a rugged transition, but can we, you know, I want to get more into the Burks pick and talk about Burks, of course, but can we talk about the pressure that this puts on Robert Woods? Cause I don't think I've seen enough people talk about that. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on Burks put some pressure on Robert Woods too. And look, he's a veteran. He could handle that, right? It is different than putting all that pressure on a rookie, but you're really reliant on Robert Woods uh, recovering from that ACL really cleanly, right? And and hitting the ground running. Now, what if it's a Taylor Lewan Bud Dupree situation, right? Where he starts really slowly and he's not that effective throughout September and October, probably be good by November, like, you know, back to about hundred percent by then. But if he, you know, if, if, if it's a similar situation to Luan and Dupree, uh, that's tough. Yeah, exactly. So you need him to come in and contribute early. You need, I mean, it's crazy that you need rookies and role players to really step up now in this offense, but that's what the Titans 2021 offense basically was the whole time anyway. So <laughs> 
you, maybe you, Des you, Fitzpatrick is alive and can contribute something. I, I don't know. You, you talked all offseason about getting better around Ryan Tannehill, right? Like I'm, I'm not it's you need a lot of things to bounce your way for you to have gotten better. You probably did not get better around Ryan Tannehill. I don't think you got better around Ryan Tannehill, not around Ryan Tannehill. Let's talk about from the time this team field, the team that's fielded in January against the Cincinnati Bengals. Are they better right now after free agency, after the draft? I don't think so. I still lean no. At best, they're even with that team. If Robert Woods gives you more than Julio, if Traylon Burks is exactly A.J. Brown, if you find an offensive lineman that that can be a serviceable right tackle and someone who can be be as good as Roger Saffold at left guard, I mean, the defense should be mostly intact. You would hope that Caleb Farley can step in and play as well as Jack Rabbit Jenkins did. But from an offensive standpoint, like all these guys have to reach their their ceiling, their at least their year one ceiling to even have the same team you had last year. And when you're counting on so much to go right, newsflash, it usually doesn't, right? Like when you're right. relying on so many things. And on top of it, you know what people probably aren't really considering here that's especially concerning is the offense wasn't good last year. Right. Like it was bad, right? And again, there was a lot of injury-related issues, but it was bad. So if they're the same as last year, that's bad, right? Because it shouldn't have been that hard to get better, right? Because they weren't good, right? Due to the injury. So it's yeah. uh, it's concerning, certainly. I, I think the so, defense is going to be elite again. I think it's going to be incredible. Okay. One the of defense the, could be even better than top, they were if they pick up yeah. mid-season form instead of, yes, you know, from, from week one, they could be better. But also defense yeah. performance varies vastly from year to year. It's a sure. very unstable metric, whereas offense is usually a more stable metric. So... That's a, an area well, of concern for the Titans. You're hoping it flips, right? You're hoping that defense is stable in the offense. Yeah. Uh, the offensive metric is a little less reliable, but uh, I, I think the defense should be top five in the NFL. Like, I know that's pretty lofty, but you only lost one starter, and that was by choice. And you've got now you've got some insurance there, which we'll get into at that yeah. one that corner spot. Uh, and you know Jeffrey Simmons is going to be great. Bud Dupree will probably be better. Right, Harold Landry will be really good. So I, I feel good about the defense being able to sustain uh, the success they found. All right. With that note, let's get into the nine draft selections the Titans did make, starting with the Eagles' original pick at 18. They traded A.J. Brown to get pick 18 uh, and some other picks that we'll get into in a sec. They continued to maneuver around. So the what they went into the day with is not what they came – what they went into Thursday night with is not even close to what they came out of Saturday <laughs> with. And we mentioned that on the last pod that we – the only guarantee we had of this draft was that uh, John Robinson was going to make some trades. But with 18, they take wide receiver Traylon Burks wide re- from Arkansas. I predicted that he would be the Titans' first-round pick. I had no idea the circumstance that it would come under. We said that he would be a great fit for the Titans because he can line up in the slot or play out wide. And the, the, the thinking there was that he'd line up in the slot while A.J. Brown and Robert Woods are on the outside. Yeah. Now he's got to be your X receiver. I mean, he yeah. really has to be your X receiver or else his offense is not going to function. I love Traylon Burks, the player. I hate that he's always going to be connected to the A.J. Brown trade. But I think if there's one guy that isn't going to care about that from this draft class, <laughs> it might be Traylon Burks. Very... Like just easygoing, not of doesn't seem to feel a lot of pressure, but definitely a hard worker. I don't know if you watched his press conference, but he talked a lot about studying film and being prepared. So I have high hopes and high expectations for this kid, and I think it was a great pick. Like if you if the AJ Brown thing is a thing that must happen or whatever, and we're just reacting afterwards, then Traylon Burks is a great pick. 
Now, yeah. he wouldn't have been there at 26 because the Packers were no. going to take him at 22. So is, is it worth giving up A.J. Brown to get him? No, but all things considered, a great pick for the Titans at 18. You know what's really interesting, and I don't want to get into this too much because it's a make-believe scenario. Do the Titans make the trade if Traylon Burks goes 17? That's what do you do at that point? All the receivers are off the board. Right. Right. Like that's, that's really interesting alternate universe to consider. What if green Bay trades up to 17, right. And goes to get Traylon Burks, who apparently, you know, they liked and Aaron Rodgers liked. He was the last one, right? Like Jahan Dotson came off the board before him. Olave yeah. was already off the board. Garrett Wilson was already off the board. Drake London, help me out here. I'm missing one or two, right? They, they were all Jameson Williams. They were all off the board. Right. He was the, I think the sixth receiver drafted, right? Like, yep. And the last one to go in the first round. Yes. That's what I mean. There was nobody worth considering there. You're not trading. You're not taking Christian Watson or Sky Moore at 18. It's ridiculous. Right. right? So that's an interesting thing to consider is what do the Titans hold on to AJ Brown and try to force a better, an outcome there or, you know, but anyway, Traylon Burks, the player, as I said, uh, multi, I think multiple times on, on this show throughout previous episodes, uh, is a guy that I was uh, infatuated with, truly, throughout the pre-draft process. I still remember the first game I watched, uh, the Alabama game. Uh, I've got my notes here. So this is raw, right? This is There's no bias here. Um, no bias whatsoever because, again, this was several months ago. I wrote in my notes, and sometimes I'll be honest, I write a, you know, a personal note that it's not meant to be very professional. It's meant to just be my, you know, how I feel about the player. And I wrote a... I love this player. I, I, he might end up as my wide receiver one. And I, I'm going to show you my screen, Graver. I know no one else can see this, but I actually wrote here, he's an A.J. Brown type of player. I did that in like October. Right? <laughs> or whenever I watched the Alabama game, it was like it was so, so certainly several, several, several months ago. Uh, he's my, he might be my personal preference number one. He's an A.J. Brown kind of player. Uh, due to physical uh, overall size, uh, open field speed, run after catch ability, and he's a really good blocker as well. That Alabama game was outstanding, right? Like he was unbelievable in that game. Oh, then you turn on the old Miss game. Oh, yeah, Ole like, Miss. Like, like the old Miss game was absolutely ridiculous. That leaping, you know, extending catch, I think it was in the first half. Then he does it again, like a play or two later. Like, Literally just, the next play. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was the next out. play. Like, is a, a very good player, and you know what? One thing we're not maybe considering, or you know, he's a really good fit in the offense, right? In the scheme, like they're yeah. going to ask him to do. It's ironic, but it's it's true. It's, they're going to ask him to do exactly what AJ Brown did, essentially, right? Like they're going to ask him to run the same routes. They're going to run the same play action heavy passing attack. Some of the routes AJ Brown AJ Brown ran were very simple, right? Those glances, those overs, a simple yeah. slant from like this, like it's just. It's get the ball in his hands and let him do damage after the catch. And that's what he did at Arkansas, right? He had the most uh, explosive plays of any receiver in the SEC this past season. Yeah. That's 20 yards or more when I say explosive plays. And a lot of that, if you watch, he created for himself. So there are some concerns where I don't think he's the crispest route runner. I don't think he's an elite athlete. I think A.J. Brown was better in all of those areas. And that's why I think A.J. Brown's ceiling is probably higher than Burks' ceiling, truthfully. But mm -hmm. they're going to be able to offset a lot of that because he's such a good fit for the system, right? They're going to run a lot of simple stuff, right? It's not because he can't handle more, but that's the way they pass the ball, right? They love that yeah. play action. They just want you to get in and out of your breaks in seven, eight, ten, you know, seven, eight, ten yards, 
simple, get the ball in his hands and let him do damage. And he, it's not just the open field speed, which I do think he has, is he can break tackles, right? Like A.J. Yeah. Brown, he can elude he, defenders. He can break through tackles yes. and he can dance around defenders, which yes. is a, a really winning combination. He, uh, I think he clocked the... I may have seen this wrong, so forgive me if this is not correct, but I thought I saw that he clocked the fastest time in the SEC of any player with the any ball carrier over 25 miles, 22 miles, some crazy speed running with the ball. I know <laughs> he only ran a four. Yeah, like faster than any Titans receiver ran in the NFL last it's, year. It's interesting because I'm curious if you'll agree with me, and I think you'll know what I mean. It's like he's a better athlete with the ball in his hands than he is when he's trying to create separation at the top of a wrap. Absolutely agree. Yeah, he doesn't so, show the, the start-stop ability to be a really elite route runner, but right. he doesn't need that to be a successful NFL receiver. And the thing that I think... in this offense. What really separates him is his ability to go up and get the ball over yes. a defender. He's which an alpha. I know, and A.J. Brown could do that, but Traylon Burks is three inches taller two inches taller and and can do that better than almost any player in this class drake london maybe the only one who could compete in that category yeah, but london's I mean, pretty some, ridiculous there too yeah true but some of the catches burks makes with defenders draped on his arms where they literally can't even reach the ball because he knows how to high point it turn and yes. and secure the catch is an impressive thing and and i we, think that that's where he's gonna thrive we love the pick both you and i and uh, I, I think we we were in agreement that I didn't want to, like what you said earlier, I didn't want to tie this pick to him. Like even when I was handing out a grade uh, for him, I didn't just do it to be biased and hand out a better grade, but it's, it's not really fair, right? Because he had no say in this matter, right? So I'm not, you can, you want to over grade the overall Titans draft and maybe factor in the Brown thing. I mean, sure, knock yourself out or more realistically, you should factor it into the overall off season, right? When you think of it as a whole, but don't, don't grade the Traylon Burks pick because of what happened with AJ Brown, right? Like, I don't know if you saw the clip. It was pretty funny where his agent walks up to him. Did you see that at the pre-draft party? It was no, really, really funny. His agent walks up to him. Uh, you're going to love it. And go whispers in his ear and they caught the audio, their subtitles and everything goes, uh, Tennessee just traded up to 18 with Philadelphia. They traded away AJ Brown for the pick. <laughs> and he looks at his agent and he goes, yikes. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. like he knew right away. I guess they were probably going to take him there, and they were coming to get him. And he knew, he goes, "Yikes!" He looks at his agent, <laughs> and uh, they probably had a good idea, right? Like if they just traded a receiver, they're coming eighteen. You had a pre-draft visit there that went well, or whatever. Uh, it's going to be you. So we can move on to the next player. I think we love the pick. I, I do think he's going to be very productive year one. But the issue is, what what is that definition for what they need? 700 yards is very productive for a rookie season. They probably right. need more than that to be successful on offense, right? So that's sort of where they may struggle to find a middle ground, and we'll see how it plays out. If he approaches 1,000 yards, and I mean approaches, not necessarily gets there, then the yeah, Titans like 950 probably, is great. Yeah, then the Titans probably had a good season. If he struggles to get that close, it's because the offense is struggling. Yes. Um, Let's move on. At pick 26, the Titans were on the clock, and they traded back. They gave up 26 and 101 overall in return for 35 and 69 overall. So they moved back nine picks in the first round in order to move up 30, so, 30 or so in the second, uh, which they didn't have a second-round pick, so that helped them out there. And that with that, 30, 
Yeah, because they need they need players. And with that 35th pick, they took what many might consider to be a luxury pick. I don't know. Definitely not a position of need, but a good player. Auburn cornerback Roger McCreary. What are your thoughts on this selection from a positional standpoint and just thoughts on the player? I was shocked. Shocked, Same. certainly. When they, when they announced the pick, I thought they might double down at receiver or they were going to go with an offensive lineman being a tackle or interior. They didn't draft an interior guy the entire draft, right? And we were mocking Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson in the first round. They didn't, they didn't take one, which was surprising. But anyway, it was. I was shocked when they took McCreary, certainly, based on how the defense performed last year. Look, I've got so many thoughts on this. I'm writing an article on Broadway. I've got like 800 words on this already, and I'm not <laughs> done. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get this article out, but I'm trying to figure out my last 400 words because I have more to say. I'm still putting pen to paper on that. So look out for that soon because I think you'll enjoy reading it because uh, I've really enjoyed writing it. It's one of the pieces I was, I've been really, really inspired to write. And truthfully, it's, I, I don't get, always get this inspired when I'm writing something, but I was really inspired to write this because I am fascinated by how this plays out. This is the fourth, uh, and I don't want to ruin the article, but this is the fourth uh, 100, top 100 pick they spent on a corner in the last three drafts, right? With Christian Fulton, uh, Caleb Farley, Elijah Molden, and now Roger McCreary. What's interesting to me is normally a team will do that uh, if they're already admitting defeat on some of those picks, right? Christian Fulton has developed into a lockdown boundary corner, and Elijah Molden has developed into their every down nickel, right? Which is a starting position. So it is curious to see them spend another high pick on a corner. Now, if it's an admitting defeat on Caleb Farley, that would be disastrous, right? Especially one year after taking him in the first round, and especially because people will not forget that he came one year after Isaiah Wilson, right? So if that's why you picked Roger McCreary, it's disastrous, and Don Robinson will have to answer for that. I I promise you, this fan base won't forget. But um, I was torn because, as you said, I love Roger McCreary, the player. I love Roger McCreary, the prospect. I mean, uh, I'm, you know, at No Flags Film, our, our own resident James uh, at Broadway there, a host of the podcast as well um, uh, for Broadway, uh, put out the numbers, right? The Alabama game. That's the one, right? That's the one. you. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, sometimes, believe it or not, fans overthink these decisions over, or overthink if they're scouting for fun. Like some GMs will put on one tape and be like, yeah, that's the guy. You know, right? Right. Like they, they'll make a decision. I've heard of GMs making a decision 10 plays into a game. I could, yeah, I like them. I, I know I like them already. Like the Alabama tape is outstanding, right? Like just out, they targeted him according to our James. And I'm glad he had the numbers because I said it while watching it. They targeted him 18 times in that game. And that was so fascinating to me because I never got the feeling. And, and you can say I'm speculating, but I never got the feeling. That's because throughout the course of the week, they said they identified Roger McCreary on tape and said, we're going after this kid. We don't think he's a very talented corner. We're going to attack him. I don't think that's what it was. What it was, was, it was the opposite of that. Auburn liked him so much and trusted him so much. They said, you're going to this game. You're going to cover their guys, right? You're going to cover Jamison Williams and Alabama's not going to go away from those guys. So inevitably they targeted him 18 times in that game. That's such a fun tape to watch. Cause sometimes you'll watch a corner tape and it can be frustrating, right? Cause he gets targeted once he gets targeted twice. You, you, you know, and you can still of course make takeaways from that. Cause if he's locking the guy down, certainly, but you love to see him. You want to see him get targeted. At least what I do when I'm scouting a guy is it gives you a better feel. How much does he give up? Does he compete at the catch point? 
I mean, I don't know that I've ever watched a tape where a corner gets targeted 18 times in the game, right? Like he did against yeah. Alabama. That was one of my most fun tapes to watch throughout this entire, uh, you know, I watched 175, 190 players, whatever I, I ended up getting through, but I love that tape because he's so, I, again, I wrote down in my notes when I watched that one, uh, my God, you know, I, I, I literally, the first line I wrote, I'm showing Graver my phone again. Y'all can't see. <laughs> I wrote, I love this kid. He's such a feisty competitor. I think he can play both inside and outside. I think he's a great athlete. Uh, I've enjoyed studying this tape because you take so much away from it, as I said. Uh, and he did a very admirable job, right? Covering those go-to guys. Uh, my initial thought was this is a mid to late first round guy. I ended up knocking him a bit for the length and I, I regret it now, but the arm length was concerning to me when the measurables came out, but I'm fascinated by the player. Uh, I can talk all night, but I'll just basically tell you my whole article that I'm writing was 1200 words. Um, I'll make a prediction that in three years, two years, even maybe Roger McCreary is going to be an outstanding cornerback for the Tennessee Titans. Fans will quickly forgive and forget that they spent a pick on him when they didn't want to see one being used at the position. But I also worry if that prediction comes true, what does it mean? Does it mean Caleb Farley was a disastrous pick? Does it mean they had an AJ Brown like situation where Christian Fulton and they got to dump him because he's asking for so much money. Those would be concerning outcomes, right? You don't want to see that happen per se, but Hey, if you, if that happens and you already got an all pro replacement in Roger McCreary, you feel better about it. But I do think this is an outstanding player, an outstanding prospect. That's going to be a really, really good NFL player. Nice. I think Titans fans should be very excited after that. And I think taking a cornerback at 35, I mean, I made the argument a few episodes ago why first-round corner to me wasn't completely crazy. This is a passing league, and injuries happen. The Titans have three corners we should feel good about, but one of them is coming off a torn ACL. And injuries happen. Never played in the NFL. And that that's true. Farley played a little bit, but didn't play too much. We haven't really seen him. We've got great reports out of what he's been doing in camp so far, but that isn't really going to necessarily, I mean, that doesn't mean much until yeah, they we also drafted a corner at 35. <laughs> and then they come out and draft a corner at 35. But another interesting point here is that McCreary has inside outside versatility, right? And the Titans lost a safety from a team that plays a lot of three safety looks. Elijah Molden has versatility as a slot corner slash safety role. We could see all four of these guys, McCreary, Fulton, yeah. Farley, and and did I say Molden? McCreary, Fulton, Farley, and Molden. We could see all four on the on the field at the same time at some points. That's tough to say. Packages. McCreary, Fulton, Molden, that's tough. Yeah, I know. I, w- I wasn't sure if I'd said Fulton because I said Molden <laughs> or the other way around, whatever. The point is, um, I don't hate the pick from a positional value standpoint. Cornerback is one of the premier positions in the league. These guys are expensive when they do trade teams. You can trade them for a lot. Two last points uh, I want to make on McCreary before we move on, and, and that was some great uh, insight you added there. Uh, you're you're right about a lot of things. Newsflash: even if you know Caleb Farley pans out, he's your starter. Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, and Elijah Molden aren't all going to make it through a 17 game season, right? right. Like it's just, it's it just doesn't happen at the corner. <laughs> yeah, like it's corner, right? Like one of them is going to get hurt at least in this four or five games. Like it's just, it's inevitable. Right. So that depth will come in handy. And the last thing I want to say before we move on, on McCreary is I saw a lot of people pulling up the RAS score and knocking uh, the, the, the testing uh, results for him. There was never a moment where I watched the tape where I didn't think he was a good athlete. 
I, I actually, I'll, I'll go, I'll go out in the limb and say, I'll go out on a limb and say, I think he's a very good athlete. I don't think the testing matched the tape whatsoever. I'm not saying he's a four, you know, four, two or four, three flat or whatever, but uh, I think he's a really, really good athlete. And he, he never had an issue sticking with receivers down the field, stays in the hip pocket, flips his hips effortlessly, very oily. Uh, I, I don't have an issue with his athletic ability. And, and I think once you see him on the field, uh, you won't have one either. Nice. Yeah. So a bit shorter arms, I yes. think maybe and, the only yeah. true concern measurable, but. And he'll give up some things at the catch point because his arms aren't long enough, right? That that's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen. There'll be a pass breakup. He can't make right. Because his arms, like it's, it, Certainly it's going to happen, but ultimately I, I think he's an outstanding athlete is what I mean. And I do think uh, the competitiveness, the feistiness, I, I, I really do love the player. Nice. So a good pick there, even if it wasn't an immediate position of need for the Titans. Let's take a look now at their next selection. Round three, 69 overall. Nice. The Titans select <laughs> Nicholas Petit Frere, the offensive tackle from Ohio State, played right tackle in 2020, moved over to the left side in 2021, a guy with all the athletic tools you could ever want, didn't necessarily put it all together on the field for Ohio State, but the Titans definitely need a tackle, whether it's a right tackle this year or a left tackle next year, assuming they end up moving on from Taylor Lewan. Dylan Radins, is he a right tackle? Is he a left guard? Jury's still out. We will see. Maybe he's what's nothing. The, what's the meaning of life? I mean, stop asking <laughs> questions we'll never get the answer to. Uh, so there you go. Uh, what are your thoughts on Petit Frere? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, uh, my you know, coworker at the Draft Network, Kyle Krabs, uh, who is, you know, I, I really trust with studying offensive linemen throughout our summer, you know, scouting s- series where, you know, daily meetings with our, our Draft Network scouts and whatnot. Uh, he really loved them. Kyle Krabs really, really loved it. He was probably higher on him than anybody uh, that I had, uh, you know, known personally. And he really liked him at left tackle for what it's worth. He thought he was a left tackle uh, in the NFL. I think he's a really good fit for the scheme, right? I think, as you said, the physical tools, he's athletic. So I think from a, a fit perspective, I also thought after hearing him speak from a culture perspective, it, ma- it made uh, more sense to me. Um, I'm, bu- I'm bullish on the player, right? I, I, it's, I, I tried really hard to flush the Michigan thing because the Michigan tape is really ugly, right? If you watch that one, Aiden Hutchinson was just having his way with him for four quarters. Like it was, it was really, really bad. It was actually a moment where I watched that game so early in the process where, uh, where Petit Friar was getting some first round buzz at the time. And I remember watching that tape thinking, you know, one of these guys is a first round player. The other is right. And it did end up working out that way. Of course, Aiden Hutchinson goes number two overall Titans get the tackle in the third round. But I remember thinking at the time, my God, this is not a first-round tackle, right? Because a- a- Hutchinson just ate his lunch, right? Now, you should watch other tapes as well. But certainly, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I- I'm always most curious uh, about what you did in your biggest test of the year, right? Like how you performed uh, when you were playing against the best players, right? Because you're going to see a lot of Aiden Hutchinson's in the NFL. And, of course, you'll get better, right? Like coaching, developing. Like you- it's you're not going to, you know, for the most part, it's progression isn't, isn't linear, right? Like you're, you're going to go up from here. So um, it'd be interesting to monitor where they see him fitting in. I've seen way too many people immediately saying, oh, they've got their right tackle. And I, I think Dylan Radins is, is their left guard. Now that maybe could fulfill a best five scenario. Cause then you're putting up really, I, I think uh, you're putting the, you know, Petit Friar against, uh, against maybe Jamarco Jones and Aaron Brewer, and you like the rookie better, right? I mean, he's a third-round pick coming out of Ohio State. You, you may feel better about him, but 
I'm gonna, and I'm not, it's not because I'm being hard-headed, but I'm gonna stick to my guns here. Uh, I still think Radins is the right tackle uh, this season. And I think right now you're looking at Jamarco Jones or Aaron Brewer at left guard, at least to start. I'll be really, really shocked if a, a third round rookie um, earns a starting job at right tackle out of training camp. Like that, that, especially on this team. And I think sometimes people make too much of, oh, they don't play rookies. Like, a, a, you know, they, they played AJ Brown, right? Like it's, they know when they've got a guy that's elite, right? And they could throw him in right away, right? Um, I, I would be really surprised if he came in and claimed the right tackle job from day one. Uh, if he does, that's probably really good news, right? It probably means he hit the ground running, rookie mini camp, training camp, preseason, all that uh, noise. But I, I would be surprised. I still think it's Raiden's at right tackle. I, I think it's, uh, you know, Jamarco Jones or Aaron Brewer at left guard. And there, you know, some question marks there. I don't know how great that is, but if I'm accurate in saying that it becomes even more interesting because maybe they just drafted what they think is their left tackle of the future. Right. I mean, Terry right. Lewan's getting older and expensive. I wouldn't put it past the look. There's a, there's a universe here where that's the case, right. Where they say tackles coming out of college. And this is true, almost league wide, unless you're going in, you know, the first 20 picks as an offensive tackle, they're not coming out super prepared, right? Like not everyone is Rayshon Slater, right? And 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 and, and Evan Neal, who I think will will have a similar start. But uh, these guys are sitting and learning, right? So I think there's a, a strong possibility, at least, where uh, they say we're going to sit him for a year, like we did with Radens. He's going to get better. We're going to coach him, and then when we inevitably, you know, maybe we move on from Taylor Lewan after 2022 we've already secured our starting left tackle for 2023. Like, I, I think there's a universe where they've done that. I think there's a universe where that player is Dylan Radins and Petit Frere is your right tackle. And whether that's in the 2022 way things work out or not, I don't know. But, but just based on the 22, like, you, what are you saying? You're dumping Luan now? No, no, no. I'm saying that maybe uh, Petit Frere plays right tackle this year. Maybe Radins plays right tackle this year. Who knows what happens? But going into 2023... Maybe they flip-flop everything around again in a one-game sample size, which is all we have for Dylan Radin so far. He was decent at left tackle. He was, he was awful at right tackle in the preseason. Now, granted, there was a lot of time between that, so who knows what happened. He was a left tackle in college. Petit Frere was a left tackle for one year in college, but he was also a right tackle, and a lot of people that I value and respect their opinion have said his tape was better on the right side than it was on the left side, and maybe that was a switching sides thing and he never really got the hang of it the technique on the left side this year or who knows what but i think that i don't really love the way this team attacks the offensive line they don't really seem to have like a plan they just seem to be like all right we'll just throw a bunch of shit at it and see who emerges (laughs) as the best players but maybe it'll work out because i mean these guys are going to end up somewhere it's either going to be on the bench or (laughs) at the tackle spots the, the two issues I would have with the scenario, the potential scenario that you mentioned, and I know we're just going through metaphorical, you know, potential scenarios, but the two issues I would have with that is a, uh, I think it would be very dumb to start Dylan Radins at right tackle this year and then kick him over to left tackle in 2023. That's one issue. And another issue I would have is if, you know, the, the rookie is your right tackle this year and Radiance is your left tackle of the future, I don't think you drafted your left tackle of the future like two two years in advance, right? You've burned through half of his rookie contract just waiting to cut Luan. Like, so either way, I, I find those two scenarios to be a little bit less plausible because um, neither of them make much sense to me. But hey, like, they, 
the way they've attacked the position hasn't made much sense, <laughs> I guess, yeah. right? So, and it could uh, be a situation where Raidens plays left guard this year and then kicks out to left tackle next year because he's the only good option there. I mean, it's it's I'm guessing, and we're all speculating, we all and it's all hypothetical, yeah. but um, you never know what's going to happen with this team's offensive line because they are it doesn't seem to be like a, a very concrete plan. How many teams can you look around the league? This is a question I don't know the answer to. How many teams can you look around the league and say, we don't know who's going to be their starter at two spots on the offensive line after the draft, after free agency. Like we're sitting here in May and we still don't know who two starters yeah. are going to be. And and between Isaiah Wilson and Dennis Kelly debacle, and then going to going to David Kusenberry and Kendall Lamb really not working out, and Dylan Radens and, and now Petit. Like there's there's been a lot of capital invested uh, into tackle and uh, not a whole lot to show for it opposite the one. Right. All right. We got one more pick. Well, I guess we got two more picks that we're really going to go in depth. Eh, we got maybe three. <laughs> Let's try to speed this up a little bit because we've been talking now for uh, close to 40 minutes or maybe over 40 minutes. Um, but we're going to get into my favorite selection now here. Uh, this one's three. not going to be easy to zoom right past now, is no, it? No, not this one. But after this, you know, we don't have to spend as much. I do want to talk in depth about the tight end they drafted, the other wide receiver they drafted. We'll get to in a second. But I really want to focus now. Round three, Titans picking at 90 overall, 86 pick comes on the board, and suddenly the Titans are on the clock. They have traded up, and the player they take in this trade up could be the future. You talk about getting better around Ryan Tannehill. What about moving on from Ryan Tannehill? It's not going to happen this year, of course. It's just a third-round pick, so there's, there's less pressure on this player to really succeed, especially from day one. But let's talk about quarterback from liberty university malik willis who we talked very briefly about on this podcast because we didn't even think there was a like really a chance the titans would select him we thought he would be a top 15 pick at worst 26 (laughs) at, at worst we thought he'd be a top 20 pick a lot of titans fans going into day two after the A.J. Brown trade kind of had a blow-it-all-up-who-cares mentality, which I'll admit to also suffering from briefly there, <laughs> uh, and saying just pick him at 35 if, if he doesn't go before the Titans' first pick of the second round. And um, the Titans end up getting him at 86. A lot of people's QB1, at worst, player people's QB2, analyst QB2 in this class. Why did he fall so far? We may never know. But what are your thoughts on Malik Willis? And he was our QB one at the draft network, right? Uh, this is, a, a, I mean, it, it's a great pick, right? Cause there's very little um, risk attached, right? Like we knew they were going to have to find a quarterback, you know, potentially of the future low key, either this off season or, or, or next. Right. So it's totally worth the gamble, right? For John Robinson Absolutely. to take this guy at 86. Like if this guy turns into your franchise quarterback, then, Oh my God, like, what is it totally changes the trajectory of the franchise, right? Like right now you're already starting to worry about the impending rebuild. I think we're all in the same place where we know a lot of these guys are getting older. You probably haven't maximized your window in 2022. Now that you've lost AJ Brown, you kind of know what's coming right with Tannehill and Luan and Henry and, and maybe even Bayard, right? Like all these older guys that are getting older, but Dupree even we've talked about maybe not being here for the long haul. So you know, what's coming, but guess what? Like, if they hit on Malik Willis, none of that really matters, right? Like they'll figure the rest out right from there for, uh, for the most part. So it, it's an excellent pick at 86. Like I'm 
I, I had to deliver a mock draft to, to the draft network about a week before the draft. So mind you, I, I knew it was a little outdated by the time the draft came around. Obviously we had more rumors, more information. I mocked him number two to Detroit. <laughs> like I thought it was very possible still a week, week and a half away that he was going to go two. I, I can't believe he went 86. Now I am going to tamper my expectations a little bit because the fact of the matter is, and I don't mean to throw a wet blanket on it, but you know, mid-round quarterbacks don't work out very often. Russell 30, Wilson, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady. I've heard them all. And I'll, throw, I'll throw you the Jared Stidhams <laughs> and the, the hundred others that have it, right? But um, 31 other teams didn't have a very high opinion, I guess, right? Like, I think it's fair for us to say that, right? They let them get to 80. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it's not fair to say 31 because the Kansas City Chiefs probably didn't bat an eye, right? The Buffalo Bills probably didn't bat an eye. Like, they could have loved them and he still wouldn't have been on their draft board, right? For, for the most part. So when you've got Mahomes, Allen, and, and, and so on. But, you know, 25, you know, teams or so uh, didn't seem to be very high on him. It's interesting yeah. and because it's not he's just... a great human being. It's not just that the teams in general, like, let him get that far. It's that, like, teams that don't necessarily have a franchise changing quarterback, like the Falcons traded up in the middle of the second early-ish in the second round. And and people are thinking, Oh, there goes Malik. Nope. Seahawks have two picks in the second round. Seahawks get on the clock there. It's like, Oh, here goes Malik. Nope. Didn't take it. That quarterback situation is so bad in Seattle. Panthers traded up at one point on day two for Malik. Nope. Wasn't for Malik. Detroit passed on him multiple times. It's just crazy that like so many QB needy teams, especially passed on him. I found it so interesting, truthfully, and maybe I'm a nerd and no one else cares, but I found it so interesting that the Atlanta Falcons took Desmond Ritter over him. And that's not, I'm not here to crap on Ritter. The reason I say that is with Arthur Smith there, yeah, I, I think probably shares a lot of the same philosophies, right? As Mike Vrabel, uh, they see off, you know, the, the, with the franchise in general, right? Arthur Smith obviously will forever be sort of tied to the franchise. I do find it really interesting that, I mean, it's not guaranteed because I've seen a lot of shit behind the scenes that would shock some of you people. I've heard stories today that like blew me away from agents and stuff or coaches that totally disapproved of certain draft picks and were not on board with it. Like this happens more than we realize. So it's possible Arthur Smith wasn't on board with Desmond Ritter and, and, and GM Terry Fondant was or owner Arthur Blank. But I'm going to, you know, it's more likely that Arthur Smith had a hand in picking the quarterback. Uh, I find it interesting that he would choose Ritter over, over Malik, right? It's just because of, I, you know, certainly trust his opinion on offense, obviously, based on what we saw from him here. But um, I, I don't think, I would love to know how the Titans stacked that. Right. But I, I would think if they were willing to trade up for Malik, they would have traded up for Ritter potentially. Right. If, if right. they were interested in him. So I would think that points to they had a higher grade on Malik. Um, now, what I think of the player itself, and I, I we barely talked about him, I'm probably going to regurgitate a lot of what Titans fans already know, but it's true. Right. Like you've got a guy with a, a, a electric arm talent. Right. Like he, he can make every throw to the field. It doesn't matter the distance. Uh, he's got a cannon attached to his right shoulder. Uh, which is incredible. I, he's an unbelievable athlete, right? He's a great runner of the football, will pick up yards with his legs. I think, you know, one of the most important traits nowadays we all know is the ability to create off script, right? Like yes. uh, that's what makes Patrick Mahomes, part of what makes Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen so special. Hell, it's part of the reason the New York Jets drafted Zach Wilson a year ago, right? So early because Wilson did a lot of that at BYU. It's a trait 
that's very much in demand, right? In today's past happy league uh, it, that really, really values quarterbacks that can evade defenders in the pocket and can create off strips. And he did that at Liberty, right? And that's really, really important. Now, there are a lot of technical warts here, right? His process is messy. Uh, you know, Liberty's offense was, you know, fairly simple. I don't think it was crazy simple, but it was somewhat simple. Uh, and, you know, the ability to ro- to read a pro defenses truthfully will ultimately be what allows him to succeed or will be his undoing, right? Like if he fails, it's because he never became a good processor. Right. And he never successfully developed the ability to read NFL defenses, because if he does that, he's probably going to be electric. I went on so many radio shows throughout this process, and I think everyone asked me about Malik Willis, not from 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 a general NFL perspective. And I said the same thing on every show. And I will main I maintain this opinion even now that he's a Tennessee Titan. I don't know that there's a universe out there where Malik Willis develops into a middling quarterback. Malik Willis is never going to be the 13th best quarterback in the NFL. He's either going to be the fourth best quarterback in the NFL or the 31st, right? Like, I don't know that there's a scenario where he's okay, where he's Ryan Tannehill, right? Where it's like, you can win with him, but he also screws up sometimes. Like, I think it's either feast or famine with him. Right. And I think most people agree, right? Like, but taking him at 86, like I, I can't praise it enough, right? Especially with where this franchise is. Like if they manage to find a franchise quarterback with that 86 overall selection, I mean, my God, what a W. And it changes the whole course of this thing. Yeah. It changes the future. It allows them to, you're not even really rebuilding, right? You're just surrounding him. And guess what? That rookie yeah. contract's going to be so cheap. If he shows you enough where he's your starter in year two in 2023, you can you you might be able to go a little balls to the wall in free agency, right? Like you can, I mean, you're still gonna be paying Jeffrey Simmons potentially, and you know, if you're still off Derrick Henry, whatever, but uh it's a lot of money off the books, right? With Tannehill and, and going to what's what's he getting nine hundred thousand Malik Willis, like and the third rounder. Tannehill has the highest cap hit of any player in 2022, right, exactly. 38.6 so, million. Any player in the entire league. I, I um, also so that's crazy, we but should make a point think, about the landing spot, like even again, throughout my, you know, summer being able to have a front row seat to, you know, uh, our, our scouting series, um, the ideal landing spot was always a place where he doesn't have to play right away. Right. Like, because he's so raw, right. like we talked about, we went through scenarios. Like if he ends up in Detroit, this thing could turn ugly for him. Right. Like if they're asking him to play and I know, you know, they probably wouldn't have because they have golf, but if he ends up in a place where they, they ask him to play right away, like it might be bad and it might ruin him. To go to a place where he does not have to play right away was so important. And uh, you certainly, you know, the work ethic, by all accounts, is a terrific young man. I talked to Joe Marino a lot from the Draft Network, and I think I I might have mentioned this on this show in relation to Malik Willis uh, months ago. But, you know, Joe will be the first to raise his hand. He's a Buffalo Bills fan. When they took... Josh Allen, he, he didn't like the pick, right? He was very vocal about like, oh God, I can't believe they're taking this kid from Wyoming in the top 10. And Joe says now, you know, one thing I didn't factor in and I learned my lesson is uh, what's Josh Allen, the human being like? And as cliche as it sounds, you know, I didn't factor in that Josh Allen was going to show up to work every day and work his, you know, mother effing ass off to get better. That's what Josh Allen did. That's why Josh Allen is where he is, right? By all accounts, uh, you know, by all, you know, intents and purposes here, uh, Malik Willis's 
apparently a, a terrific human being who and I, I think I, we've seen that a little bit throughout you know what we've been exposed to Liberty's put out some great stuff of course that's controlled by the program but you see him develop this friendship with a, a sick young girl and keep in not you know not just a one-off right like keep in touch with her and develop a friendship a mentorship yeah. like that's so incredible of any human being to do right let alone one uh, truthfully, who's in a position in a profession where a lot of guys aren't very nice people, right? And a lot of guys only have their own interested heart. It's just a, a, a true story, right? So see him do that. And there was the clip at the combine of him giving giving him the clothes to the, the I believe it was a homeless gentleman. And he, I, I don't even think he knew he was being filmed for that, right? Like if someone across the street filming, right. they just happened to catch a, a good deed in process. So this is apparently a really good human being and you should be excited. Uh, you should tamper expectations. Don't listen to any of the, the ridiculous shit on Titans Twitter about they're going to bench, you know, bench Tannehill immediately, blah, blah, blah. No, you should, you should want this kid to sit and learn because throwing him into the fire too quickly could ruin him. So don't be, you know, don't ask to yeah. bench Tannehill first time he throws an interception in the regular season, because I don't think throwing this kid into the fire is the right thing to do. If he proves us wrong, I mean, it's great news and we're all, we'll all be blown away by how ready he is to be a pro because right now uh, it looks like he's probably a ways away. I think if I had to put my just like range of outcomes for Malik Willis, it's anywhere from Jake Locker, uh, athletic, fast player who's a great person who has a cannon of an arm. But Jake Locker never really developed, and honestly, injuries really caught up with him more than anything. But anywhere from Jake Locker, who wasn't that accurate over the middle of the field, I remember him missing potential game-winning throws, and that's just the the story of that that quarterback. But from him, anywhere up to Michael Vick, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson levels of of ceiling, because he really does have, like you said, the arm talent that is just like the thing that you can't coach and that you can't learn is that arm talent. He could be Josh Allen. He could be Deshaun Watson. I mean, one of the one of the scouting reports I read sounded a whole lot like Deshaun Watson. Sometimes he dances around in the backfield trying to make too much happen, looking for the big play downfield, which he'll often hit. Sometimes he takes too many sacks because of that. His offensive oh. line at Liberty was also horrible, so it's hard to put all those sacks on him. But sometimes it is him trying to, you know, relying a little too much on his escapability. But, you know, he led the, the entire NCAA in missed tackles forced last year on 100 less carries than Kenneth Walker, who was second. And um, his ability to make people miss in space is, is Michael Vick slash Lamar Jackson slash Josh Allen-esque. And that's something you also can't teach. And it also gives him sort of a baseline to where, like, let's say there, I, we were discussing this earlier, but, like, who's the Titans' active second quarterback on game days? Is it going to be Logan Woodside and Malik's inactive, or is it going to be Malik so that you can run some goal line packages for him or, or whatever? Let's say it is Malik. Let's say he has to come in for a second half because Tannehill goes out or something. At the very least, you have his rushing upside and his playmaking ability with his legs that you know you can can sort of rely on even if nothing else is going well for him at least in the early phases while he develops as a quarterback right. in the past i was going to say it may be a bit of an unpopular opinion because look a, a goal line package uh, isn't that big of a deal because it's it, you know i don't think it puts too much on his plate but i would i wouldn't get too cute with him don't make him too gadgety you know what i mean like let him focus on right. playing quarterback right let him focus on becoming a better yeah. quarterback let's not Let's not put so much, you know, installing throughout the week, 
people don't always realize how much time goes into that. If you have too many packages for him, that's what he's spending a lot of time focusing on, right? So I hope they don't get as exciting as it, I know it could be. I hope they don't get too cute with him. Let him focus on becoming a better quarterback. And the Logan Woodside thing is really interesting. I, agree. Oh. I think in the beginning, it will probably be Logan Woodside and fans will probably lose their minds, but uh, it wouldn't shock me if it's Logan Woodside or they also, they're going to have to keep three quarterbacks on the active roster for the first time in a long time, like on the 53. Yeah. I don't think they wave yeah. Woodside. I mean, they That's may, true. but I don't think they will. So three quarterbacks. Yeah. It's it's interesting to think about how that'll play out, but the bottom line is I'm super excited for the upside. Oh, preseason can't get here quick enough, I think, right? Like I think I'm more excited, <laughs> more excited for preseason football than I've been probably since Marcus Mariota, I guess, right? Yeah, and I think you know it's interesting because we were talking about it at the beginning of the episode. Are the Titans better right now for 2022 than they were in 2021? Maybe not. Maybe the team has to take a step back before they can take two steps forward. And I do think the Titans are positioned well right now to do what the Kansas City Chiefs did the year they transitioned from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. And that's, you know, this team is still a playoff team. I know it's a deep AFC and it's not a lock the Titans make the playoffs, but they should, should be able to win the division barring some catastrophic injuries and go to the playoffs. And it'll probably be apparent again that the quarterback is holding them back. And then you hopefully go into 2023 with the excitement factor of a young rookie that you're excited about. And the craziest part about this last thing on this pick before we move on and finish out the rest of the draft quickly, because we're over an hour now is that the most exciting part about it is, or the not most exciting, but the, the crazy part to me is like, I compared him to Jay Glocker. I compared him to Josh Allen. We compare him to Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick, a bunch of guys that came into the league pretty raw, right? I would say all those guys came into the league fairly raw. All of them were first round picks. Why was Malik Willis drafted so late? I mean, as a prospect, is he really that much worse than Josh Allen was? I mean, as as like a developmental prospect, is he Fair a question. third round prospect? I mean, I know it was a weak quarterback class and like all these receivers and defensive ends and ever and positions pushed quarterback down the board apparently, but I mean, I am shocked that only one quarterback went in the first round. And I know it's a weak quarterback class, but even in a weak class, I always thought Pickett and Willis were the two guys that were worthy of being first rounders and everyone else was kind of not, not trash, but not good. And I really didn't like Desmond Ritter and I had it on good authority that there were teams that had him as a fifth rounder on their boards. And I never really bought the top 15 hype that was going around right before the draft and that played out. So I feel validated by that. But anyway, Malik Willis, super stoked. Can't believe they got him in the third round where they did because he, I mean, I still, right now, sitting here, should have been a first-rounder. We're going to look back on this draft and be like, how the heck did the Titans get Malik Willis in the third round? The I same way people right. ask how Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott went in the third and fourth rounds, right? Now, that's but, the ideal outcome right I there. Digress. All right, moving on. The Titans took a backup running back, number 131 overall, fourth round, Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. Kind of a Derrick Henry-esque runner in terms of a bigger physical guy downhill back can be a bruiser can be a goal line guy i don't think he has near the breakaway speed that henry has um but he's a pretty good pass protector as far as rookie running backs go which isn't necessarily always the case for a rookie uh what do you make of the haskins pick here yeah i've been informed by zach efford's pod that i'm apparently the highest uh, on haskins in the entire universe like apparently a lot of people (laughs) on the big board had him like 150 160 whatever i had him at like 89 i think or 90 
I, I liked them. Like when I watched them, I mean, I don't know how you watch that game against Ohio State where we went like five touchdowns or something insane uh, in that massive victory for the program. They hadn't beat Ohio State in forever and come away with thinking he's not a pretty like I've been again, I've been informed he wasn't a top 10 back in this class. And, and I think he was. Hmm. Um, so I really liked the pick. Again, I'm, I've been informed I'm alone on this hill. But um, I think you have to factor in that you, you like uh, the fit, right? Punishing a bruiser. I saw a Houston Texans fan, a Houston Texans analyst, but he's also a fan, tweet after the pick saying, damn, like not looking forward to having to tackle Hassan Haskins when Derrick Henry comes out of the gate. Like, I think that's what you're getting in this pick, a, a tough physical runner. Um, it's thunder and thunder, right? They said, screw it. We don't, we don't need lightning. We're going to, and I'm not shocked they took a running back. Like it's, you know, with Foreman leaving and, you know, they have Hilliard there. Like the, the one thing I'll say, uh, cause I, I do really like the pick. I wish maybe he had more upside as a pass catcher because he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I think, he, I think he's very Derrick Henry like as a pass catcher. Like you can throw him the screens here and there. But he's certainly not, you know, going to give you what Dontrell Hilliard gave you, for example, in that area. So that'll be interesting to see how much he gets on the field because Hilliard has more upside as a pass catcher. Haskins is great in pass pro, and he's more of a like for like replacement for Henry, as you said. Maybe they give Henry more of a breather on a couple early downs, right? Like coming off the injury, getting older. I don't know. You want to give Henry 400 touches again, right? Like, right. So uh, I, I like this pick. Uh, I, I may be alone again, as I've said, informed seven times, but as I've been informed, I may be alone. Uh, I like the pick. I like the fit. I like the player. I think he'll come in and be productive for them. I don't hate it. I do think you have Hilliard still to be your pass catching back. So you don't, you don't miss that necessarily with Haskins, but I also sort of believe that you don't ever have to draft a running back. And especially when you already have Derrick Henry on your team. So uh, that's my only dis- like you can find guys like this in the sixth and seventh round too. You or can. And they also, it's also a result of missing on Evans, to be honest. Yes, true. Well. So and that's, that's another the one. With their next pick in the another fourth round pick, the Titans number one forty three overall took Chigosium Aconquo, or Chig as he's known uh, affectionately by friends and family, right, or just by all of us, I guess. Chig Aconquo, <laughs> tight end out of Maryland who profiles very similarly to Jonu Smith. We knew the Titans were going to take a tight end in this draft because they don't have one on the roster beyond 2023 right now. And um, 2022, actually. Sorry, beyond 2022 right now. And you actually, this is the only hit we had in our dueling mock draft, either one of us. You had this guy going to the Titans in the fifth round, but they wow. took him around earlier. I forgot that I had him. That's pretty funny. And, you know, and again, remember, I missed on all those earlier tight ends. I was complaining, yada, yada. But turns out I had the Titans strategy down to a T, right? They were going to wait that long anyway. Um, I like the player. I, I really do. I think you said it with John New Smith. The, the measurables are, are so comparable, right? The speed, even the play style on tape, right? The ability to create for himself after the catch. They really miss that in John New Smith's absence. Uh, so I, I think John, John Robinson is, has recognized the error of his ways. They, they, they had no production from tight end last year. They've gone out, signed Austin Hooper. They've drafted this kid. Um, I, I really, again, I keep saying fit, but I really love the fit in the offense, right? Because he's so similar to John Smith and it's not a cliche. He is go watch him, go look at the measurables, go look at the testing, like almost across the board. They are so similar. So it's, it's, it's exciting. He is raw as a blocker, but I'm, I'm so glad they drafted him because 
for God's sake, for once, don't always consider that with with tight end, right? Like it's okay to have a good pass catcher that's still learning, and he shows willingness on tape. So John Smith wasn't that good of a blocker coming out, right? He got right. better. He developed significantly better throughout his time as a Titan. So maybe this kid can do the same. I, I did get a chance to interview him before the draft. Chig uh, had a lot of fun with him. Really good, a fun uh, natured kid. So excited to have him. Love the fit. Wonder if he can contribute early, right? Because they don't have a lot at that position outside of Hooper. Obviously, they've got Jeff Swain, but he gives you something I, I think neither of them can, right? With with some of that run after catch, open field physicalness. So uh, I, I like the pick. Nice. And I like it too. I don't know too much about him beyond everything you just said, so I will leave it there and move on to the Titans' fifth round pick, number 163 overall, Kyle Phillips, slot receiver out of UCLA, who everyone on draft Twitter seems to love and feels is extremely underrated. Brett Coleman said he'll catch 70 balls this year for Tennessee, which would be outrageous because the Titans haven't had a player catch 70 passes in a long time. So that would be (laughs) remarkable, but um, what do you think of Kyle Phillips? Yeah, I mean, like everyone falls in love with these undersized slot. Remember Trey Quinn from SMU a couple of years ago? We never heard from him again, but everyone loved him uh, as well. Look, I, I'll be honest, like uh, there's a pathway for him to get on the field quickly and contribute because... Sorry, A.J. Brown did have 70 catches in 2020, but even that was the most he ever had. So yeah, like I mean, 70 balls for not gonna slot sniff. receiver. They this don't guy throw gets the ball 35 catches this year, I think it's a victory. <laughs> uh, there is a pathway for him to get on the field rather quickly, right? Like they didn't get much out of the slot last year with Chester Rogers. He's a free agent probably not going to be back what do you have in the slot right now right it it might be kyle phillips right so the good thing is he's one of those typical what are undersized receivers in the slot they're savvy they're advanced route runners very technically advanced that's what he is right so he may be able to get on the field for them quickly and handle a sizable role in the slot um again not to throw a wet blanket i don't mean to sound pessimistic but the truth is you know for every cole beasley and hunter renfro there's 10 undersized slot receivers that can't overcome their size deficiencies, right? So we'll see which side of the coin he lands on. I can see it going either way, truthfully. Uh, again, it's the percentages tell you these guys rarely pan out. Again, again, how Wes Welker, Cole Beasley, there's only so many of them, Hunter Renfro, as I said. Um, but no, he's a really good route runner, so he's got a chance to, to join that very uh, slim group. Yeah, so hopefully he can get on in the field. The Titans don't have anyone to play the slot, really. So that is, uh, I mean, except yeah, like you're not putting Nick Westbrook, Traylon Burks, and Robert Woods on the field at the same time, I don't think, are you? I mean, Nick Westbrook played a good deal of slot. I guess you could. You can move those guys around, but you could put Burks in the slot, too. I mean, he, he thrived out of the slot at Arkansas. But, yeah, I mean, I think there'll definitely be packages where, you know, he gives you that short area open uncover quickly kind of player yeah wins underneath have been missing he's not gonna win deep ever (laughs) all right we got two picks left here in this titans draft class round six both of them round six both original picks the titans went into the draft with number 204 they take a defensive back theo jackson out of tennessee played that star role for the tennessee volunteers defense was uh very versatile and they they were able to move him around a lot and it's kind of a like-for-like replacement of Dane Kirkshank, who walked in free agency, who was also a day three pick by the Titans. What do you make of Theo Jackson? Yeah, John Robinson loves these day three safeties, right? I think Amani Hooker was a day three pick. We, we know Dane Kirkshank was. He's 
hit on both of those, in my opinion, right? Based on, I mean, certainly Hooker, but even Crookshank, based on where they were drafted. I think Jackson will probably come in and be a really good special teams player immediately. And 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 James, again, no flags film, he's pretty high on him, right? He's, he said he really enjoyed uh, this player throughout his viewings of Tennessee's defense, thought he should have been ranked significantly higher. Um, and John Robinson's had luck with day three DBs, right? Even hell, I'll credit even uh, uh, Chris Jackson, I think is a really good find on day three, right? Even LaShawn Sims wasn't bad for a while right is I think one of John Robinson's first day three picks at DB so he's had luck with these players I think he'll immediately play special teams if he gives you more it's a bonus and 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 there's a chance for him to do that yeah hopefully he's a little better than Brady Breeze but other than that John (laughs) Robinson's done well with the day three DBs and with their final pick in the 2022 NFL draft at 219 overall round six the Titans take Chance Campbell linebacker Ole Miss who is (laughs) apparently better than the Ole Miss defense would make you think Look, you've lost some depth at linebacker this offseason. Obviously, you waved goodbye to Rashawn Evans, uh, Jayon Brown. Non-Titans fans overrated those guys and thought, oh, they might have to take a linebacker in the first round. This was always the more realistic outcome where they draft a depth guy late on day three. We had this pegged from the beginning. I'm glad we were proven correct. Um, this was the best athlete, apparently, they drafted, right? According to the relative yeah. athletic score, really good athlete, hard-nosed, tough football player. Had like 110 tackles last year. Like, he was... Ole Miss's defense. He, if he, he didn't make a tackle, nobody else did. So uh, it's an interest, intriguing day three late pick. He'll, he'll give you depth. He might be your fourth inside linebacker. He's not going to be more than that. Uh, chance to make the roster and will probably carve out a role on special teams. Yep, a chance, Campbell, to make the roster. <laughs> See what I did there? All right. Well, we did it. We got through the entire draft class. The Titans also have a number of undrafted free agents, but we are going to go through those one by one next week because this is a long ass episode. And And I'll know a lot more about them by then. Yes. And what else are we going to talk about next week anyway? You know, I mean, we got a lot to cover here between now and September. So we'll get into the UDFAs next week. Make sure you're checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com. We have tons of coverage on all the draft picks. Make sure you're following Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. If you stuck with us this long, we really appreciate it. You guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.